Welcome to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm Ethan Fleischer, one of the game designers with Magic R&D. And I'm Kelly Diggs, one of the world-building leads for Dominaria the set. This is part four of our five-part series on Dominaria. Today we're going to cover the Church of Sarah. Yeah, the Church of Sarah. So this was one of the topics that I dug into during world building and uh, was able to find some really neat stuff. The history of the Church of Sarah is complicated because the history of Dominaria is complicated because it's played out in so many different places um, over so much time. Uh, it feels, you know, a, a little more like a real religion than some fantasy religions do because it has these kind of uh, schisms and, and uh, different ideologies within it. Um, so there are at least four separate strands that united to form the modern Saren faith. All of them trace back ultimately to the planeswalker Sarah. Um, there's been some confusion. Some scholars on Dominaria, as well as some fans who are scholars of Dominaria, uh, have come to the conclusion that there was an ancient goddess named Sarah and then a planeswalker Sarah who was a human who was named after her. As far as we know, this is false. The Planeswalker and Goddess are the same. All references to the Goddess Sarah are talking about the Planeswalker Sarah. Planeswalkers got mistaken for gods a lot back right. then. Freyalis is worshipped as a goddess by the Lanoir elves, for instance. Right? That's right. A uh, practice which she did not discourage. So the first and oldest strand, the one that is sometimes attributed to this separate goddess figure, uh, it's mostly lost to history. We don't know much about it. It was probably on the continent of Teresier during the Ice Age uh, or maybe earlier. Do we know how old Sarah is? We don't. We don't. We don't know how old she is, where she's from. Um, there, we know very little about her. I hope one day uh, to dig into that more because I think she's a really interesting character whose uh, whose stories have added up in kind of an odd way, um, and I'd I'd love to dive into it more. But um, but for now, we know very little about her. We don't know when she might have been um, on Dominaria or where. Like I said, because uh, we know Sarah worship was was common in Teresier, it seems likely that it was there. Um, it was certainly by the end of the Ice Age, may have been earlier, might have been before the Ice Age began. We don't know. Um, certainly it's not mentioned in the Dark period at all. Um, and uh, we know that it was also a factor in Arona, across the sea, uh, shortly after the Ice Age. Sarah, presumably, came to Dominaria, created some number of Sarah angels, or summoned them, whatever she was doing with angels at that time, who helped people, a faith, Eventually, a church grew up around her and or them. It's not clear how directly involved she may have been. She might have just magicked up some angels and left. Um, that's, that's entirely possible. We don't know. But that's, that's strand one, this ancient church of Sarah on Teresier. Um, its most prominent temple was at Epitir, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Right. There's a, an entire mountain carved in her likeness, in Sarah's likeness. And right. there is, uh, I believe, the largest uh, Saren church in, on, in the entire plain uh, is at the base of it. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly it's the physically largest Saren temple, and I think it is also the, the, the most populous. Um, that is something, the, the temple at Epitir, this statue of Sarah, is something that was established in lore ages ago, I mean, 20, more than 20 years ago, um, and that we never had seen, and now finally it is on a card, uh, Clifftop Retreat by Christine Choi. Um, that is, yes, the temple at Epitir, uh, and uh, it was really exciting to get to, to actually show it. Um, you'll notice that it now has some modern sarin flourishes, some of the stained glass and stuff. We'll, we'll get to how that synthesis all happened. So I'm going to recap the situation with Epitir and the Shulton Empire real quick. Oh, sure. Um... 
The Shelton Empire was this intercontinental empire that was based in Benfosa, which is uh, a city that's located where uh, Benalia City is currently located. Um, they had annexed New, uh, new Argive, and this Sumifan song mage, Thabit of Almaz, arrived and stirred up rebellion and summoned Sarah Angels to battle the Shelton occupation forces. Uh, the the Shelton withdrew eventually, and uh, their empire collapsed uh, relatively quickly after that. And so the uh, the people of Epitir and, and New Argive were very grateful, you know, not only to the Song Mage, but also to Sarah herself. And Sarah worship became very popular in that country at that point. Right, and they built this, yeah, this giant temple. Now, the Shilton Empire uh, could have done something useful after all this. Instead, they outlawed Sarah worship within their borders. They thought, well, you know, if Sarah, Sarah messed us up. They, they embraced the superficially similar Church of Angel Fire. Um, and uh, Sarah worship remained illegal after the Shilton Empire fell and reemerged as Benalia. Enforcement of that illegality varied in various times and places, um, but, uh, but it was outlawed by the Benelish. Then we have this second strand. After Sarah left Dominaria, she built a place called Sarah's Realm. Artificial plane of sky, clouds, angels, very nice things. Um, we saw that in the Urza saga set when Urza went there and, of course, ruined it. Uh, because that was, that was kind of his thing. Um, there were angels and humans living there, and this is where Sarah herself really codified a religion, where she sat down and said, hey, we're going to have a church, and we're going to sing songs, and uh, we're going to talk about our values um, and what we believe in. This is where you get the emergence of the four virtues of the Church of Sarah, which are art, discourse, freedom, and peace. This is buried in one of the old novels. Um, that uh, those are represented by the quartered circle that is uh, one of the symbols of the Saren faith. Right, we've seen this on a bunch of magic cards from uh, Urza's saga all the way up and th through uh, Masters 25 and into the, the Dominaria set. That's right, uh, which some, some eagle-eyed folks noticed. Um, those do, uh, at least I believe, the quartered circle represents the, uh, the four virtues uh, because that is a thing that Sarah had four of. Um, you also have the Song of All, this tremendously long thousand-plus canto choral piece that chronicles the creation of Sarah's realm, lays out a bunch of theological and moral principles. It's got some prophecies in it, some actual history, some kind of parables. We've seen a lot of quotations from the Song of All in flavor text over Tons, the years. including some new ones in Masters 25 and in Dominaria. Um, not an accident. Um, among these theological and mor moral principles, uh, there's a particular canto of the Song of All uh, that lays out the idea that life's balance is as a star, you know, five things, which is a more common number for us to have. Mm -hmm. um, the voice cycle from Urza Block of law, grace, reason, duty, and truth corresponding to uh, protection from red, black, blue, green, and white. More on that in a bit. Uh, Sarah's realm was destroyed in 3360 AR, 3360 by the Argivian Reckoning Calendar. Um, so that's sometime after the fall of the Shilton Empire, the establishment of Benalia. It was Urza's fault, um, but Urza also rescued people from it, uh, used the weatherlight along with Joira um, and his ability to bring people with him when he planeswalked to resettle angels and humans uh, who survived Sarah's realm to Dominaria. We don't know how many, hundreds, maybe a thousand. Um, 
they settled all over the place. There were some who settled in Equatorial Jalfir, which at the time was being overseen by Teferi. Um, there were some who ended up as refugees fleeing Benelish religious persecution. It's kind of a bummer. Some of them, um, in the novel Bloodlines, end up in Benalia itself, kind of undercover. They're very bad at being undercover. When someone says, who are you? They say, oh, we're, we're, we're worshippers of Sarah. Right. What are they going to do, lie? Right. They're not going to write. That's no one way. One of their, one of their, uh, their five their, things. Their four voices is the voice of truth, Voice right? of truth. Yeah, no, they, yeah. Um, so, uh, the, you know, but they, they were able to remain undercover. They weren't, they weren't exposed, or at least they weren't rooted out. Um, and with Ursa's help, they actually ended up becoming the allies of the Capuchin family, um, one of Benalia's ruling families who would later go on to produce Gerard, uh, one of the great heroes of Dominaria. Uh, Sarah herself did not come with them. She fled to Ulgratha. Um, that's where the homelands set was, uh, w- took place. That's right. Um, her decision not to come with them is an interesting one that I would love to dig in more. It's not what we're doing today, though. So these Sarans, Sarah's, Sarah's not with them. They don't know. They may not know if she's alive or not. But they're coming to Dominaria with direct personal knowledge of Sarah. They walked with her. They sang with her. They knew her. Um, that I have to imagine was a little bit chaotic. That you have people on Dominaria who've been worshiping this vague memory of Sarah, codified as a church. You know, in a place that is that has this enmity, this this ancient enmity with Benalia, or at least with its uh, predecessor, versus people who are now settling in Benalia who knew her, who are saying, "Oh yeah, no, yeah, we we know her. She's cool. Do you want to hear what she actually said? Like, we got it. We we, yeah. we can sing Just it. Talk to, you. to her last week. It's, yeah, it's a thousand cantos. So sit down. But you know, yeah, we'll <laughs> sing it to you. Uh, now they have literal angels backing them up, going, "Yep, that's now that's what she said." That. Yep, that's how it was. So that went a little more smoothly than it might have in our world, um, and it resulted in, in a synthesis, in a syncretism, rather than in, in, in a real schism. Um, so this synthesis begins to emerge, and the Song of All in particular is embraced by all Dominarian Sarah worshippers in many different, many different branches, um, including over in the original temple at Epitir. All right, so that's two. There's a third strand. Right, you said she went to Ulgrotha. She went to Ulgrotha. Uh, that did not go so well. Um, her husband, right? They were actually married. Boyfriend, her her dude, her fella, yeah. her friend, Faraz, uh, died, and she fled once again. Um, this time back to Dominaria in a place called Circe. Right, that's where the cathedral of Sarah is. That's right. It wasn't at the time. At the time, Circe was famous only for its Pegasuses. Um, Mesa Pegasus refers to the village of, of Circe in its, uh, in its flavor text. Um, so this would have been around 3800 AR. We don't know for sure. There's these cryptic comments by Nicol Bolas in the Time Spiral novel that allow us to kind of place it. Um, around 3800 AR is, where I, is when I believe that happened. And she finds herself, this is in the comic, she finds herself among a bunch of refugees. And digging into the timeline a little, it's plausible that those could actually have been Sarah worshippers fleeing Benalia because mm. of religious persecution. The timing works out. It could have been her own people. They could have had her name on their lips begging for protection from this time of trial. Um, I, I find I find that idea very interesting. Again, no no confirmation on that, but she certainly was among these refugees who were fleeing from some unknown disaster or crisis. Um, she's attacked by some guy who calls her Missum. Bad move. She's a planeswalker, man. But she's seeing all this misery around her, and she doesn't want to use her power to heal herself. I think when you read the comic, it's 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 easy to interpret it as grief. I I see it differently. I think she wants to help these people. Um, and so, uh, instead she 
expels her planeswalker powers into the land, into the land of Cersei, and um, just blasts it with white mana and kind of sanctifies it. Right, we've seen this kind of move in the past with pre-mending planeswalkers. Sometimes they give up their immortal powers to infuse the land with energy, right? And yeah. and revitalize the land. Right, green sleeves right. being the big example there. Yeah, so this is this has happened before. Um, this monk named Brother Angus tends to her as she dies. Um, she kind of tells him her parting wisdom. Uh, this is memorialized in a new addendum to the Song of All, the Cantos Beyond 1000, um, that are known informally as Brother Angus's Lament, um, that that talks about this this uh, this beautiful, graceful person who comes and, and gives her wisdom and, and dies, um, using some of the same language that uh, is used about her in the early cantos of the Song of All when it's describing the creation of the world and everything. Um, so she dies. Brother Angus spends most of the rest of his life building the Cathedral of Sarah at Circe on the spot where she died, more or less. Um, Circe becomes a holy land under Sarah's literal blessing. New angels still appear there occasionally in the Cathedral at Circe. Uh, it's entirely possible that the temple at Epitir and the cathedral at Circe spent some time as rival power centers to one another. These things happen. Um, they have since reconciled. Again, it helps a lot when you have literal angels going like, guys, guys, it's, guys, it's the same right. thing. It's all cool. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, helps a ton. Um, by the time of the Phyrexian invasion, Sarah Angels are openly aiding Benalia in the fight against Phyrexia. Um, we don't know exactly how that shift took place, but, um, but by... Um, by that time, that's what, 40, 4205 AR, you've got, you've got Sarens on good terms with Benalia. I mean, possibly it's just silly to outlaw angels who are trying to protect you from biomechanical zombie monsters. I mean, the Benalish did, like, arrest Gerard for trying to warn them about the Phyrexian yeah. invasion. They are somewhat silly. That's true, that's true. But sure. regardless, uh, the Sarah angels were able to help. Uh, so that's, that's three strands. Um... And I think those are the three obvious ones. Um, but while we were working on Dominaria world building, I found what I believe is a fourth strand of Sarah worship. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this is where it gets interesting. I, I had way too much fun with this. Uh, so let's look across the ocean to Otaria just after the invasion. What's, what's going on there? right after the invasion. Well, Otaria was relatively untouched by the invasion. The Phyrexians did not deal nearly as much damage to that continent as they did to most of the other ones. So a lot of people ended up settling there when their homes were destroyed. There were a lot of refugees that moved to Otaria. Yeah, there's some references to like Herloon and Talrum, uh, you know, being left behind by the Minotaurs and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, on Otaria, it's established in Odyssey and Onslaught Block that the Plains Nomads and the Avon, these bird people, worship the Ancestor, um, who is this white-aligned goddess associated with the sky and with rebirth. That sounds kind of familiar. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's common tropes, whatever. But uh, it gets there's much more. There's a much more specific clue. Odyssey has this cycle of spheres that prevent damage of a certain color. Uh, sphere of grace, sphere of law, etc. Without necessarily thinking about the deep spiritual implications, the uh, people working on magic at the time named those cards using the same five words from the voice cycle. We have words for protection from red and protection from blue and whatever. It's not exactly protection, but it's the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So they use the same words. The ones that come straight from the source of Saren theology, the song of all. So, uh, so these people... Yeah. The Northern Order yep. and the Avon and the other bird people had some sort of 
contact with the Saren Church or Sarah herself. Pretty definitely. Um, there's also uh, the reprinted Disciple of Grace in Onslaught, um, which finds an evil cabal counterpart in Disciple of Malice. As a pairing, we continued in Dominaria with uh, the Saren Knight of Grace and the Cabal Knight of Malice. So, if I recall correctly, the Avon are not from Dominaria originally. They are they are refugees from some other plane where a war or something uh, drove them out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know much. I don't know much about that. But a lot of there was a lot of movement of whole populations between planes at that time. Certainly, it makes it very uncertain where they could have picked up. This, uh, this faith, right? Because maybe it was on their original home plane, maybe right. it was after they came to Otaria. There are, there are so many possibilities and very little information. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Otaria's got these refugees from all over this world and other worlds. Uh, you know, they could have arrived from, from, uh, from some other world where Sarah had been that we don't even know about. They could have arrived from Teresier um, and the Temple at Epitir there. They could have arrived from Benalia, from Circe, even from Jamora, where, where uh, some of them settled in Jalfir. Sure, just there's, we never see bird people in, uh, it, we didn't see bird people in magic until the camera moved to Otari. Yeah, sorry, I mean, Sarah worshippers could have arrived oh, sure, from all these sure, different sure, places. Right. Um, the Avon, wherever the Avon came from, Sarah worship could have arrived through through any of these right, different right. factors. Or maybe Sarah herself came to Otaria on her earlier visit to, to Dominaria the same way that she came to Teresier. Um, we really don't know. Their version of the theology seems a little more distant from the source. It's it, They don't have Sarah's name, and they ascribe to her some qualities that the, the physical, literal Sarah didn't necessarily have. Um, but there was so much upheaval going on after the invasion that that might not be a function of time. That might be just a function of, of the chaos and, and, and lost information. So you have this worship of the ancestor, um, which I believe there's a very convincing case is in fact a form of Sarah worship. Uh, it is a little different from other Sarah worship. The ancestor is much less personified. She's She kind of lives in the sky. Um, she is purported to have made the entire world which I think is a reasonable misunderstanding of the early cantos of the Song of All, which are about Sarah literally making Sarah's realm, making a world, just not this one. Um, so all in all, this strongly suggests to me that, um, that these Northern Order and these Avon are, are uh, a distant branch of the Saren faith. So after Corona's War and all of the mess there, Refugees flee from Otaria because their refuge has become just another crisis point. Um, that includes nomads and especially the Avon, who left the continent in huge flocks uh, looking for a place to live, and they brought worship of the ancestor with them. Some of those nomads and a lot of Avon settled in Benalia, which took them in. Um, Avon brought this distinctive claw staff thing as part of their religious order. You can see that on cards like Sarah Disciple and Teshar Ancestors Apostle. Um, so they're in Benalia, and then after the mending, um, when Benalia is rebuilding itself and the church is rebuilding itself, and they're literally building a new Sarah's realm in the skies above Benalia, um, all these strands of history are coming together. Saren theologians come to believe that the ancestor was Sarah in a different guise. Um, the various teachings about the ancestor and Sarah came to be, be applied to both. Some modern Sarah worshipers believe that Sarah created this world, the world, maybe every world, who knows. The Capuchins, one of the Benelish ruling families, openly embrace Sarah worship. Um, by the present day, the Saren Church is the state religion in Benalia. Other religions are still legal, other than demonic cults like the Cabal. Um, and there are still adherents of the Church of Angel Fire, uh, particularly among traditionalists like House Kroger. Church of Angel Fire worships 
Gabriel Angel Fire. That's the certainly the magic card that can sometimes have rampage from Legends. Occasionally, it does have rampage. Yeah. Yes, that was pretty clearly a reference to to Gabriel Angel Fire. Um, I like the idea that it is superficially similar. And, you know, Benelish history now is very tangled up with Saren history. Uh, the Benelish have this long-standing rivalry with the Avenant, uh, or the Davenant from the Isle of Avenant. Um, right, that's the, the island just off the coast of Benalia. Yeah. That's right. Um, they're a matriarchal um, society with a lot of archers. Uh, they... I'm guessing this. This I'm guessing that they were already Sarah worshippers because mm. they are rivals of Benalia, and Benalia hates Sarah worship. Um, they are matriarchal, um, and and Sarah worship has a has a female deity versus the Church of Angel Fire's male deity. Um, I'm guessing that the the Avenant uh, were Sarah worshippers all along and have watched with some amusement as their cousins across uh, the channel uh, adopt Sarah worship wholeheartedly. Um, I, I, I like that thought. So now the modern Church of Sarah is this sprawling organization. You have different orders. Um, some of them are devoted to the worship of Sarah as the ancestor. Many even join the order of the ancestor. Um, there are also of these other orders around the four virtues, around the five points of balance. Um, uh, there's even an order of Akroma, which inaccurately regards Akroma as a Sarah angel. She is, of course, not. Um, there are uh, Saren stories that hold that Sarah's blessing played some direct role in the defeat of Yogmoth during the Phyrexian invasion, that she guided Gerard's hand um, when, he, when he struck against Yogmoth. Uh, lots of beliefs that aren't true, but all of it traces back ultimately to this planeswalker who uh, really lived and really died and really did try to make things better for all these people. Very interesting stuff. All right. Today, we're going to have two history questions of the week because they're, they're smaller questions. Um, these are both from Baranelos. When the heck did Hazazan Tamar live? We've never been able to properly place that on a timeline. Okay, so this is a, this is a small continuity crash that bugs all heck out of people who uh, have really, really dug into magic continuity. Right, well, I guess... Briefly, who is Hazazan Tamar? Oh, gosh. You, you want me to answer Yeah, that you've read these books more recently so than I have. So Hazazan Tamar was a uh, former pirate who set himself up as sort of a, uh, a merchant but uh, could magically summon sand warriors, warriors made out of sand. He fought a uh, sort of rebellion against the evil tyrant Johan. But when did this happen, Kelly? So we're talking about the Legends 1 cycle, uh, which was released long after the set Legends, trying to kind of tie some of those uh, some of those people and places mentioned in Legends together. Um, Johan, Jedit, Hazazan are the three books. Yeah. Those books are pretty clear. They take place about 400 years after the Ice Age. That's just in the books. They're very clear about it. Um, 400 years after the Ice Age puts them in the 3300s AR around the same time that Sarah's realm was collapsing. That's settled. So that's settled. Next so, question. So, well, so the <laughs> issue is, the issue is, and the, the reason for the question is that this creates a small discrepancy because the Legends 2 books definitely take place around 300 years later. We know their placement um, in relation to some events involving Nicol Bolas. Um, they star several Legends who are briefly mentioned in epithets back in Legends 
one. Well, yeah, and there's even some some characters like Zira uh, Arian. Yeah, is there's a character named Zira Arian in the Legends One series who's a a human warrior who's taken a vow of chastity, I think. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. then there's Zira Arian in the Legends Two cycle, who's a much more important character. She's a Umidian, which right. is a wasp person from uh, Jamura. There's also a Torwaki in yeah. In there's Legends a, One, there's a right? Torwaki in in both uh, series that they're just incompatible. Yeah, in the second series, uh, Zira Arian lays her eggs in Torwaki. Um, you know, it was a Tor, no, right? She lays her eggs in somebody. Was yeah, it, it was. Um, I don't remember. It wasn't anyway, Tor. She definitely lays her eggs in somebody. It wasn't Tor. You're right. Um, but uh, but yeah. So those are just different people. We we have to assume that there were other people with those names who lived earlier. It does happen on occasion in magic history. You have like a hundred King Darians. It's not a hundred, but there were a bunch of it's forty-three. Forty-three. Thank you, um, King Darians. Um, you know, in our own history, obviously, more than one person can have the same name. It happens on occasion. So we just have to assume with very, very clear timeline cues uh, in both of these series of books, we have to assume there were just multiple people with the same name. And uh, some of the random references in epithets, like, you can chalk that up to continuity errors. It's, it's what? sad. What? How dare you? <laughs> continuity I mean, errors. Sometimes continuity errors just happen, and uh, you have to be like, uh, uh, uh. That is true. <laughs> um, yes, as I, as I mentioned on an earlier episode, the, the deep, dark secret at the heart of all this is that Dominaria is it's not, in fact, a real place. It is written by human people in our world who are trying very hard to be consistent with one another. Right, but you look at real history, and... There are plenty of inconsistencies to be found there, yes, and that is nobody true. quite knows what the real story is in many cases. So. That is true, and that's actually that is one of the things I find charming about Dominaria yeah. is that often there is no exact answer. So our other question. So there's been much speculation regarding Crovax and his familial home as it relates to Lord Windgrace. Anything that might be worth mentioning in that regard? Okay, so Lord Windgrace is a panther folk planeswalker um, from the island of Urborg, um, and Crovax is a dude also from Urborg who was born much, much later who sailed aboard the Weatherlight. At some point, this belief sprung up that Crovax's family name is Wingrace or that he is from the Wingrace estate. Um, as far as we can tell, that's just not true. That was a fan thing that got that got concatenated at some point. It is a it's a false connection. There is no direct connection between Crovax and Wingrace besides both being from Urborg and kind of being jerks. Um, although Crovax turned out to be a much bigger jerk. Baron Boer of Multiverse and Review, who we've mentioned before, did a great write-up of this um, in his review of uh, some of the material about Crovax's youth. Uh, making clear that that despite this widespread belief, there's there's no there 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 is no connection. So Crovax does not have the surname Windgrace, as far as you know. No, and and as far as we know, he is not related to the Panther Man. That would be surprising. That would be surprising. <laughs> All right. So, uh, geography question of the week. Uh, Narciso Bizarro asks, what things live in the southeastern subcontinent of Jamura? So. Jamura is divided up into three subcontinents. You have Western Jamura, which includes the area from the Mirage block and also the Legends 1 novels. Yeah, Jamura is unreasonably huge for a place where relatively little of magic history has actually taken place. Northern Jamura is where, it's where prophecy takes place. That's right. where the, the Keldon try to uh, invade. Uh, and then, but Eastern Jamura is totally unknown. Nobody knows anything about it. Except I know a few things because 
I am the geography expert of all of Dominaria. It's true, he is. All right. So Eastern Chimera is dominated by the Tevan Desert. There were all of these cyclones that uh, were planar portals to Rabiah and dumped huge amounts of hot sand all over Eastern Jamura for millennia. It also deposited quite a few uh, Rabaians who settled down in that desert rather comfortably. Okay. They were used to it. And that's so, uh, explaining the cultural similarities between the people of that region and, and Rabiah? Yeah, so. yeah. They have they have myths of jinns and afrits. Okay. And uh, they also have actual jinns and afrits who also came through the portals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the jinns and afrits are there. You know, the architecture is very similar to what you'd find in Rabiah. Some of the, uh, the places uh, have names that might sound familiar. So north of eastern Jamura is this enormous inland sea, uh, variously called either the Jamuran Sea or the Mid-Mercian Sea, depending on who you are. So there's a little tiny isthmus connecting eastern Jamura to western Jamura. This is called the Onyx Bridge. So that, that goes across the uh, Jamuran Sea to the north and the Bight of Ishan to the south. And uh, on the Onyx Bridge is, is a port city called Galidi, which does a brisk trade in people who want to get stuff across that isthmus. And where's all this coming from? This stuff is from the Legends 1 series. Okay. The Tevan Desert was a mention in passing in Ashes of the Sun, I believe. So following the uh, southern coastline along, uh, there is a peninsula. On it is Caracas. Oh, I hear battles no longer served a purpose that's there. That's right. That's right. That's about all we know about that's that. literally all we know about Caracas. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. And um, Except that where it is. Yeah. We now we know where it now is. Now we know where it is. Now, going all the way along to the southeastern corner of eastern Jamura, we see the Maiar Mountains. And along that, that area there, it's, it's filled with jungle. And you'd find various people like the Eumidians there. And uh, that was where our earliest encounter with the Nekoru, the cat dragon, Wasatora occurred. Y Wasatora spent her youth there, separated from the other cat dragons, but uh, they eventually came to find her because their mating grounds were near those jungles. They, uh, they spend most of their time kind of in the middle of eastern Jamura. There's a forested area that's uh, pretty near the, the sea there. Okay, Wasatora is a character from the Legends 2 cycle and from at least one short story besides that, which I assume is where this information yeah. is coming from. Who um, is Queen is the name of this, the who story. Who was Queen. And uh, she got a card in C17, which right. was one of my uh, one of my prouder yeah. dumb Vorthos achievements. I was very happy when that <laughs> yeah. card came along. So some other people that you might find in Eastern Jamura, um, there are jungle kingdoms all along the southern coast there. And... Sakatan caravans make it all the way out here, apparently. That sounds like a really long journey, but Mwasatora uh, encountered some of them. Um, and you might find sea traders and pirates from the east, from Madara, Fismatan, Lucrezia, Bryce, Shaibara, or the city of Yurkoi. That's all I've got on eastern Jamura, which... Uh, it's not bad. That's not bad. I mean, for a place where, like, nothing has ever happened, that's, that's right. actually quite a few named locations. All right, so I think that does it. Join us next week when we'll talk about Otaria and the Cabal. And probably some other stuff. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I'm Ethan Fleischer. I'm Kelly Diggs. See you next week.